Nobody's talking in the room. No one's ever broken a promise. This is the best group of people ever. You guys are going to teach a class for me about what it means to be a perfect person in this, because I, I will not do it. Or maybe it's just that that hurts too much. You're like, I just can't share that deep, deep truth right there of something I've, I've failed at. Sadly, I have tons of stories. And if my daughter were up here, Addie, she would be sharing you all sorts of times. Daddy, you promised. Daddy, you promised. God, you cut me to the core, child. I don't know if you can remember a time or if you're able to share a time. Um, one that actually has nothing to do with my kids, but one that distinctly sticks out in my mind is early on in my years of ministry. Uh, I graduated from high school in, in May and started my first student ministry in August. And I actually, in my youth group, I had kids older than me in my own student ministry, which is kind of weird to be called the youth pastor of kids who are older than you. Um, but I remember being in the youth group and being a freshman in college. And as a freshman at college, I was just, to be honest, a little irresponsible. I was kind of lazy. I, I didn't like, I had an 8 o'clock weightlifting class that I almost failed because I didn't want to get up and go to weightlifting class. And I tried to find every loophole around not going to that class just because I hated getting up in the morning. But I remember having a student ministry, and we had about uh, 10 kids in our student ministry. I had this girl, a 7th or 8th grade girl, name was Lauren, that came about halfway through my freshman year. She asked me, she said, Eric, will you come and speak at our FCA at school uh, this Thursday. And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to and stuff and committed to do it. And then uh, as we're, she's leaving, I said, what, what time do I need to be there, Lauren? She says, 6.30. I go, a.m.? <laughs> she said, yes. And I immediately, I'm going to be completely transparent in the back of my mind thinking, how can I get out of this? I, I, I don't even go to weightlifting at 8 o'clock, you know, and just sign a sheet and just sit there on the weight bench. How am I going to get out of this right now? And uh, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, Wednesday came and I, I convinced myself that it was the right thing to do. I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to tell her I, I apologize later and just not go. And so I totally flaked on her. I didn't show up. I didn't go. Uh, and the following Wednesday, you know, she came, and I was ready to prepare my excuse and, and tell her how, you know, I'm so sorry I didn't come, all this sort of stuff. And before I got a word out, she comes up, and she walks into the youth room, and, and her, she has tears just falling down her face. And I said, what's going on, Lauren? She goes, oh, just nothing. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't come, and it was, it was a totally false apology. I mean, it was, I, I'd made up my mind before that I was going to do this. And I started apologizing, and to her credit, she said, it's okay. She said, it was just really embarrassing because I told everyone you were coming, and I sat there, everyone looking at me the whole time, and you never showed. And it was one of those moments that just cut me deep and made me realize how important my word is, how important I follow through. And it's one of those things, I could tell, it made her lose a lot of trust, a lot of faith in me, Made her lose a lot of trust and faith in the church. It's one of those things from that point on, I realized, listen, your, your word is important. I don't know if you can identify, and some of you guys are losing faith in me as a pastor now, like I can't believe this is our pastor. Uh, hopefully I've learned from that and moved forward from that. But I don't know if you've ever dealt with anything in your own life like that where someone has failed a promise for you and how much that hurts because it causes us to lose faith and trust in the people who made the promise. If you've ever had someone that you've looked up to and respect and said, I will do this, and they didn't come through on something that meant a lot to you, and it makes us begin to doubt and believe, is this even worth something I can trust anymore? And I share this because when it comes to God, a lot of people I've talked to in the past have come to this, where they lose faith in God because God didn't come through on something they thought he should. How often has, has someone gotten sick or we've lost a loved one or, or we lost a job or something of that nature, something we lost that we felt like God should have came through on and he didn't, and we begin to lose faith and trust that really he's a good God, really he's a loving God, and maybe he doesn't come through on promises like he should. 
Today I want to look at that very thing. We want to look at God's promises. As we explore this book of Luke and who Jesus is, the big idea once you see about Jesus is we're trying to understand him better is this, that Jesus is a fulfilled promise. When you see Jesus coming, Jesus is actually a fulfillment of everything God had been pointing to and promising in the Old Testament. And you might not say it's a big deal, but if Jesus is a fulfilled promise, what does that mean about other promises God says about us in Scripture that he's going to do? Think about this. For years and years and years in the Old Testament, they've been told this promised one would come. They're waiting and they're waiting. And, and just imagine years and years being Abraham and Isaac and David and Solomon, all these guys, and never seeing this promise come through, you begin to doubt if this God really is good. And Jesus brings everything into conclusion, brings everything to fulfillment. Now you might be saying, when did, when did God promise Jesus in the Old Testament? All throughout, they have this term that you may have heard before, this term called a Messiah. It means the anointed or chosen one. All throughout the Old Testament, you see these passages of Scripture that point to this promised one that would come someday. As a matter of fact, it starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after the fall of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve make their mistake, and God begins to pro pro uh, proclaim his judgment on them. And as he does it, he kind of gives this very uh, weird allusion in verse 15. He says this to the serpent, which many believe is Satan. He says this, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring, being Satan, and her offspring. He says, He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. It's the first illusion that there will come someone that will, will combat you and beat you and undo all the stuff you've done. And all throughout Scripture, you see God constantly coming back to this promise. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, he directs his first promise to Abraham. He says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Even Isaiah, verse 9, 6-7, it tells us again, it says, For a child is born to you, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David. And all throughout Scripture, you've got Isaiah 11, 1-4, Micah 5-2, you have all these promises that someone will come day and deliver. And Jesus ultimately comes and is that promise and that fulfillment. The reality is often we miss God's promises due to a misunderstanding on God's promises. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. I want us to see a promise God made and the fulfillment he makes in this passage, which points to a much bigger picture. And I think it's very important to us today. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verse 25 through 39. This is right after Jesus is born. Um, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus to the, to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord, which is what a good Jewish family would do. It's like being a good, faithful people. It's like baby dedication 101, if you will. And they're going, and verse 25 we pick up as they get to the temple, it says this. At, their time, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah, this promised one, to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Imagine that for a second. Since Genesis chapter 3, they've been waiting for this promised Messiah. And from Micah, the very last book of the Old Testament, all the way till right now, there's been 400 years of silence, nothing from God. You've been waiting, like, I want to see this Messiah. And God tells you personally, like, you're going to get to see it. You're like, are you serious? Like, my great, 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 great grandmother and father dreamed of this day, and I'm the one that gets to see it. Imagine the excitement in his heart, like, what's going to happen? Let's read what happens next. Since that day, the Spirit... The Spirit, which I think is interesting, led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord, 
as the law required. Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arm and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. He's like, I've seen it all. And he's like, man, I've seen God. Like, I can die in peace. I die a happy man. You did exactly as you did. And he begins to tell about what this child is going to be someday, giving a prophetic word over Mary. But then very next thing, in verse 36, you have someone else who's been waiting for this, a woman named Anna. It says, Anna, a prophet who was there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when uh, they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow at the age of 84. Uh, she never lived, uh, left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began to praise God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth of Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Imagine being these two people, Simeon and Anna, that you've heard for years, you've read about in all the books, you've been taught it every year in Bible class, 101, that someday this Messiah is going to come, and you get to see it. It points to something important about God's promises that we see and need to understand about God's truth with these promises and what we can take to the bank with God's promises with us. Because if you misunderstand God's promises, you're going to misunderstand what happens. The first thing I want you to understand about God's promises is this. God's promises often defy our expectations. When God makes a promise to us, sometimes it's opposite or sometimes it's different than what we expect to actually come through and often happen. Think about this for a second. Simeon is looking for the Messiah. God tells him, says, before you die, you're going to see the Messiah. Can you imagine what he's thinking? Man, I can't wait to meet this man. I can't wait to meet him. He's probably thinking about the conversations I'm going to have. When I see him, I'm going to tell you, listen, oh, honored Messiah, I'm so, uh, would you teach me? Would you give me wisdom? And he goes, and the Holy Spirit says, listen, the Messiah is going to be there. And he goes there, and what does he find? A baby. Like he's been having these conversations in my life. I can't wait to talk to him, have a, an adult conversation. And instead he's going, goo, goo, ga, ga, you know, like to the Messiah. Can you imagine in his mind, he's doing baby talk, thinking, this is not what I expected to see here. But if he had been stuck on his own expectation, he would have completely missed this whole thing. Like we need to be aware of the expectations we bring to the table. Imagine that God told him, says, listen, you'll see the Messiah that he goes there looking for a man and the baby's there the whole time and he completely misses the promises of God right in front of him the whole time. The point is this, I think often we can have expectations of what I think God is going to do, how he's going to do it, and when God does it differently, we miss the fulfillment of those promises. We miss it completely because we've already had our mind made up of how God should do it and when he actually does it, it's nothing like we expected. And so we walk around saying God has not come through when he really has. I, I think of about this. Expectations are dangerous for us. When we bring the wrong expectations to the table, it can actually make good things look bad. Think about this with marriage. When I, used to, when I do premarital counseling, when me and I sit down with a couple who's about to get married, we walk through about the importance of understanding the misplaced expectations that couples often bring to the table. I'm going to read you some expectations to, uh, that, that we have. And I want you, as I'm sitting there, thinking in your mind whether you think these are true or false when it comes to about marriage, if these are true or false. Ready? My partner will meet all my needs for companionship. True or false in your mind. Second thing, time will resolve all of our problems. 
You guys are laughing a little too hard out there for this, right? Number three, we should live happily ever after with no major problems. Number uh, keep going. Less romance means we have less love for one another. Our relationship will remain the same. My partner's interest in intimacy will be the same as mine. Our relationship will be better when we have a baby. We will do things just like my family did. Nothing can cause us to question our love for one another. I believe I know everything there is to know about my partner. Or the last one is love is all you need for a great marriage. Now, when we read this and we go through a couple, I'm like, how many are true or false? Honestly, when we go through with couples, nearly every couple come through and about half of them they say are true and half is false. And I let them know, like, listen, all these things are common misconceptions people believe about marriage. Because if you're married right now, you'd be like, none of those are true. <laughs> Not a single one of those is true. But yet, if we bring those to the table and believe that's the truth of what marriage is going to be, and marriage is not measured up to those expectations, what happens? Our marriage is a failure. Because I expected love is all you need. I expected a baby would fix this. I expected all this sort of stuff. And so I tell couples it's important to clear the plate of expectations and allow marriage to set the table for you and see what happens. And I'm telling you this, when it comes to God, we have to do the same thing. Because what happened with Israel, they had misplaced expectations of what this Messiah would be, and they completely missed the Messiah. He, he talks about later, like, listen, they will oppose you, they will reject us, because they expected a king to come in force and power to rule with nations and to bring prosperity and all this sort of thing. They did not expect a lowly servant baby to come and deliver them. And still to this day, you have many from the Jewish ethnicity and background that still are waiting for this promised Messiah that has already come. But we have to set aside our expectations because God will often defy our expectations. Now, rebuttal, let me give real quick to that point is this. Some people, as I was processing, might say, well, are God's promises really that great if I can imagine something better than what he actually gave? I mean, is it really that good? If I can imagine something better than what God actually did, how good is his gift? How good is his promise? If I think, man, God, this is how you should do it, and he does this, like, well, I can think of something better than how you did it. Well, let me ask you another question. What happens when our view is tainted? What happens when our understanding is tainted? Let me illustrate it like this. Uh, I told you just not long ago, my youngest daughter had her sixth birthday on December 20th. We counted down every day for 150 days when her birthday was coming. And on her birthday, we went out and I said, we're going to go eat wherever you want. Her older sister was foaming out the mouth. Oh, go eat this. And then I'm thinking, oh, a steak place. Let's go this. You know what she said? You know what she said? McDonald's. I said, no, no. Hallie, anywhere in the world you want to go eat, like you want to go to Disney World and eat at Disney Castle, wherever you want right now you eat, she said McDonald's. Now listen, there's nobody in the world, I think if I said there's anywhere in the world you could eat, would say McDonald's, but her view is tainted. Why? Because all she cares about is getting this cheap substitute of a toy that she can play with for five seconds, and I will throw away about five minutes later, and she'll never realize it was ever existed. Her view is tainted. And if I had taken her to Mahogany Steakhouse or Red Prime or something like that, she would have been greatly disappointed because that's not what she expected to happen. How often do we come to God with the same sort of thing, misplaced and a tainted view of expectations, and we miss what God's doing? That's why it's so important to let the Holy Spirit guide our expectations. I love verse 27. What does it say? The Holy Spirit was upon him, and the Spirit led him. He just comes as an open servant, like, okay, God, what do you want me to see? I, okay, there's that baby making all the noise. What? Would you get it? Wait, that's the Messiah? And he gets to experience. And then after what he's done, he's like, man, I get to die a happy man. God, you can take me now. But my question for you is this. Listen, are you looking for God to come through? 
Are, are you being open and say, God, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the table open. You, you surprised me out here. Or are you willing to admit that maybe you're wrong on the expectations you've brought? Are you willing to admit, believe that maybe once in your life that maybe God knows better than what you might want? Man, it'd be so nice, God, if you gave me this job, if you gave me this, but yet God gives you something else. Listen, maybe this is best. Maybe this is better than what I expected because really I've been saying the whole time, man, I just want McDonald's. I just want McDonald's. God promises often defy our expectations. The second thing I want you to understand about God's promises is this, is that God always delivers on his promises. This was Psalm 2, 3, 6,000 years in the making, but God delivers. As a matter of fact, verse 29, I love what he describes them. He says this, sovereign Lord is how he describes him. What does that sovereign mean? It means absolute unrestricted authority. It means nothing is going to happen without God's final approval or authority in all things. At the end, he looks back and goes, God, I can't believe this is how you did it. I can't believe it's how you brought it all to fruition. But you're sovereign. You're in control of all things. God will always deliver on his promise. God being sovereign means this. There are no external factors that can deter his promises coming through. There's nothing in life that can happen. Even when you say it's too late, in God's world and God's sovereignty, it's not too late. Think about the people in the New Testament where then Jairus' daughter died or Lazarus is dead, and they're like, God, man, you missed it, Jesus. You could have came and saved him. And Jesus is like, man, it's never too late. And he walked in like, hey, bro, Lazarus, get up. And he wakes up like, bro's hungry. Let's feed him now. Let's get some Mickey D's. Like, that's how the story goes. Like, it's never too late for God. There are no external factors that can deter him. As a matter of fact, you need to realize that even with all the promises God made, the, sti- the, the chips were stacked against him from it taking place. Do you, do you realize that in Scripture, in the Old Testament, there were over 300 prophecies, promises made by God about this Messiah that would come true someday? 300 different promises. Well, let me give you some perspective. Do you realize just for eight of those promises to come true, eight of those prophecies about Jesus to come true, uh, some researcher has done this, which I don't know how they have time for this, but just... Eight of the prophecies coming true about this Messiah would have been one in the one in ten to the seventeenth power odds of probability happening. That's ten with seventeen zeros on the end. One in ten to whatever that is. To, to give you better perspective, if you were to take uh, ten to the seventeenth power, if you were to take that many silver dollar coins, which is just a little bit larger than a quarter, and you were to lay them down face down all over the state of Texas, if you were to do that, you would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Can you imagine that for a second? Entire state of Texas. Now, if you were to take just one of these coins and mark it with some sort of mark that distinguishes it from all the other coins, and you were to take this two feet deep of silver dollar coins, and you flip, and you would begin to stir up all the coins of the state of Texas, and you take someone and blindfold them, and you spin around, and says, you walk as far as you want, wherever you want to go. And when you decide to stop, reach down blindfolded, and pick up, the chances of that person bending down and picking up that one part coin is the chances of this promise, of just eight of the promises coming through with Jesus Christ. Do you understand? That's how sovereign our God is. God literally stacks the deck against himself. He's like, listen, there's no way this can happen except by me. There's nothing that will stop God's promises. The challenge for us is to be patient with it. It's not a matter of if God will do it. It's a matter of when God will do it. I love the count of the story. How old were these people? You look at verse 37, it says she was at least, Anna, the most scholars believe, was at least either from 84 to 100 years old. She was waiting her whole life for this. It says, then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. 
And most scholars think that she was much older than this, even longer and longer after this. Tradition actually says Simeon was over 113 years old. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what tradition holds about this guy. They've been waiting a really long time for this to happen. Imagine the doubt that sinks into their mind. It's not a matter of if God will do it. It's a matter of when God will do it. The challenge for us is to step back and be patient and say, God, I know you're going to do this. When the hour is darkest and it seems like there's no hope left, listen, God still comes through. And sometimes and often it still defies our expectations. And often we miss it because we're not looking. The last thing I want you to see on this when we look at the scripture is this. Is not only does God often defy our expectation, not only does God always deliver on his promises, but the last thing is this is God's promise here is for everyone. His promises are not just for you. It's for everyone. Look at verse 31, 32. What does Simeon say about this salvation? He said, I have seen your salvation, which is what? Which is prepared for all people. He's the light to reveal God to what? The nations. He is the glory of your God. It's the theme you see out through Luke, to, who's writing to a Gentile audience to make sure they understand that, listen, these promises are not just for a select few people. These promises are for all people. And the problem with the uh, Jews in this time is they couldn't get past themselves. They believed this promise was just for them. They're the chosen ones. They're the elite. It's only for us. And they kept waiting. And when all of a sudden the table got spread to other people, they're like, no, this can't be true because we're the best of the best and we deserve it. And they missed it. They missed it because they can't see God's blessing is for everyone. As a matter of fact, Simeon says in verse 34, this will cause many to fail and fall because they won't see this. They won't appreciate it. They won't see it's for everyone. How did they miss it? I mean, did God change his promise throughout? If you look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, we talked about when he makes the promise to Abraham, does he talk about just his children? Listen to what he says. He says, I will make you, talking to Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Listen to this. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. From the beginning, it was for all people. God's promises are not just for you. Like, understand this. Listen, God's blessings are never for one person. Never throughout Scripture has God ever came and blessed someone and it was meant for one person. Even when he gave David and Solomon all their wealth, it was not meant for them. It was meant for them to be a blessing to other people. If God is going to bless you, can I tell you something? What we often misunderstand is God is blessing you. It's not just to bless you. It's to bless others. If God has blessed you with more time, it's not so you can hoard time and do stuff yourself. It's so you can freely give it to other people. If God has blessed you with financial wealth, can I tell you something? It's not so you can live in the lap of luxury and just look what I have and look what you don't. It's so that you can bless others. If God has given you a skill, a talent, God has not blessed you just so that you can exploit that skill, but it's to share that skill with others. But too often we miss it. And so it means with God's promises, we have to move from bless me to bless us. Like, God, how can you bless us? Because God always wants to bless his children, not just his child. And we miss it. We miss God's promises. Because sometimes we're so fixated on God blessing me that we don't see how God really is wanting to bless all of us. It's important to understand how God's promises actually work. It's important to understand how God's work actually meticulates and comes true in our life. Can I just, I'm not trying to add another sermon on this. Can I just give you some application real quick? Like when it comes to God's promises, here's what I need to say to believers. First and foremost, wait expectantly. You need to be patient. You need an attitude of a believer is hope and anticipation. I believe any moment God's going to come through. God being sovereign means it's never too late. I don't know where you're at in your life or what you've dealt with right now where you're thinking, man, the, the, the hour has passed. It's never too late. And God may be doing something different than what you expected. The question is this, are you still looking and asking? Are you still believing that God will come through or God is going to do something or have you given up? The second thing I say this is follow humbly. 
Be open to being wrong and what you thought would happen. I want to be honest. Me and Lee talked the other day. Two things that we are both terrible at is this right here. It's saying, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. We were talking about the other car. Emily asked me, because I said, she goes, am I passive aggressive? I said, no. I said, I'll be honest. She said, you struggle admitting you're wrong. She goes, you do too. I said, amen, sister. I'm like, yeah, like misery loves company, don't we? When we're passionate about it, when we know that this is something we care about, we have a hard time going, yeah, I was wrong about that. We will go down with that ship like the Titanic and ride that bad boy all the way down. Like, I don't care what you say. I'm going down with this. I've planted my flag. This is what it is. And too often when it comes to God, we do the same thing. We're not being open to the thought that maybe what I thought would happen is not right. Because what happens is sometimes we miss God's promises because we have misplaced expectations that we brought to the table. I love Simeon was receptive of the Holy Spirit, and he went, and what did he find? A baby. Are you that humble to say, God, change my perspective? Man, isn't that hard in our culture and time right now? The last thing I say is this. Not only do you wait expectantly, not only do you follow humbly, but share generously. Share generously. God's promises and blessings are not just for you. And if you stay in that mindset, you will never experience the full depth of God's blessings. God's salvation is not just for you. If God saved you, it meant to save other people as well. He didn't just throw the life raft to you. I love verse 38. As soon as Anna gets this news, what does she do? She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began praising God. And listen to what she did next. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Every person who listens, she's going around like, hey, have you seen this baby? This is the Messiah. I know it's not what you expect. This is the Messiah right here. God's blessings are meant to be shared, not hoarded. The question is, are you doing it? Who have you shared God's blessing with this week? What God has gifted you with, what God has fulfilled a promise in your life, what have you done with this week? Truth is, Jesus is a fulfilled promise. When we go and worship the Savior, it's a promise that God has fulfilled that has spent thousands of years in the making. And it's a promise and a blessing that we have a responsibility to one, to appreciate the full extent of what it is and to share it with other people. And maybe you've brought false expectations to the table of what you thought Jesus should be in your life when in reality, that's not who this Messiah is meant to be. Maybe you're like the Israelites where you expect this to be a king to give you everything you want and to give you prosperity and let your people rule and be the best. And that's not what he came to be. He came for you to serve or came to you to love and give and do all this other stuff. Something completely different. The willingness to lay down and say, God, I'll have whatever you have for me. I know it's best. Do you see Jesus as a fulfilled promise? Or are you still waiting for God to come through? My, my prayer, my petition to you is just that. It's to sit and wait and say, God, I believe that you're good. I believe that you will come through. And I believe you have. I'm going to look to you, my maker and my savior. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you this promise I'm speaking about is for you. There are people all throughout the Old Testament that dreamed of a day of having exactly what you get to experience now. As children of God, are you experiencing the fullness of what that is? Are you appreciating every aspect that a relationship of Jesus Christ brings to your table, or are you just waiting for him to give you the streets of gold and the good stuff you want? Because Jesus Christ is so much more. It's no difference than bringing to a marriage expectations that I thought you would make me happy. I thought you would make this. I thought you would do this. Rather than, you know what? There's so much more to it. I'll never forget, me and Emily, we shared, we celebrated our 15-year anniversary this last Thursday. And we were talking about it, and I was laying in bed at night, and I said, did you imagine 15 years ago this is where we'd be? She said no. I told her, I said, I'll be honest, in my first four years, it was pretty rough for us because I had expectations in my mind what I thought this was going to be. And my expectations were so low standards. And when I finally came and set those aside and said, you know, I'm done with this, and we just began to just 
just said, God set the table. And then marriage became something great. All the things that I thought I wanted didn't even compare to what I actually got. And it's so true with God. The promises he brings to the table are amazing. But sometimes we get so fixed on what we want it to be that we miss it. So I'm going to ask where you are just to pray for a second. Allow God just to speak to your heart and say, God, just change my perspective. If you're a child of God, I, I ask you this, to enjoy and appreciate the promises God has and look for it. Look for how God is continuing to bless you. If you're online or in person, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. you never put your faith and hope. You're still waiting for God to come through. Can I tell you something? He has. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you can receive salvation. You can come into a relationship with him. And your first step today is just simply this, just to say, Jesus Christ, I want the salvation. It's free. You don't have to be good enough. If you've had a bad past, hey, welcome to the club. If you don't think you're going to live up to the standards, hey, can I tell you, I struggle daily. Every day I struggle being a good enough person. The great thing about Christianity is I don't have to be a good enough person. I just have to walk in the freedom that Christ has already paid for me. You can have that same thing. I'd love nothing more than to share that hope with you. So, Father God, I just pray for this church. I pray for these people. I pray we would see you as being a fulfilled promise to us, how you've come through. I pray we'd quit looking for other things in our life to be that promise keeper, to be that promise fulfillment when you are all of it. I pray that we would have the heart of Simeon did, where we would be open to the Holy Spirit's leading to see that, man, this baby, this thing that defied expectations was everything I ever wanted it to be. And we can just like him come to the end of our life and say, God, I can die a happy person now. God, give us that faith. Encourage us who are struggling in our faith right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're going to close in some more worship. And so uh, I do want to remind you about our, our, our giving, which I don't think I, I think our giving boxes are missing. So there's giving uh, things on the wall. I don't know where those are right now. That's an awkward moment right now. Um, so you can do that, or you can do online giving that way if you want. Uh, so uh, that's an act of worship. I encourage you to be faithful then and uh, looking forward to this next year. So would you guys stand? Let's just worship God together.